read you a statement that I think many here would agree with, and, and yet I, I want to prove a point with it. Maybe you've heard something like this before. God does not judge based on outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. God doesn't judge based on outward appearance, but he, he looks at the heart. You know, that's biblical. That's a, that's a biblical passage. As Samuel, later on in his life, he'll go and select a king. And God tells him, no, 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 I haven't selected this one or this one or this one. He, God tells him, quit looking at the outward appearance. That's not what I look at, God says. I look at the heart. Sounds like a great statement. We may believe in our minds that it's true, but I would venture to say that the overwhelming majority of us, even here in church today, don't live by it. Even if we want to live by it, it's hard in our society because America in particular does not live by that statement. We don't live by not judging folks on their outward appearance, but looking at their heart. We don't live by that in our society. It's not a guiding principle for us. It, it's sort of a nostalgic phrase and something that in our moments where we're really trying to help someone or even at a, at a funeral time or or a difficult time in someone's life, or when someone is in pain, we may say, you know what, you've got a heart of gold. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about what you look like. But truly and honestly, we don't live by it. And unfortunately, the results are disastrous, especially for women. The results of, of not living by what God lives by and says are disastrous, especially for women. Because there's a constant barrage on women today telling them what they should look like, how they should act, what they should do to be attractive, what the ideal woman is like, and so on. And it's relentless. I saw something along that line this week that, that honestly made me experience a range of emotions, but mostly it just kind of broke my heart. I saw on Facebook, and some of you are on there, uh, one of my Facebook friends who her three-month-old daughter in a beauty pageant. Three months old, put her in a beauty pageant and posted it all over Facebook that that's what she was doing and was so excited and then posted the results that her daughter won first place and was also named most photogenic as a three-month-old. And her quote was, that's my girl. Somebody else wrote, you must be one proud mama. And she said, yes, I am. There were over 50 other people who joined in giving their congratulations and their approval to what she had done. Now, I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with being an attractive person. If you are an attractive person this morning, you don't have to walk away feeling as if there's something wrong with you. If you have cute babies in your life, there's nothing wrong with those cute babies. And certainly, especially, I would imagine the grandparents dote all over their cute grandbabies. Nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But I honestly believe there's a danger in this sort of thinking and what the long-term message is for a young girl who's doted on only because of what she looks like and only because she's photogenic. I believe there's a danger in the long-term message that sends to the children. There's a danger in buying into Satan's lies that worth and value are found only in what you look like and how you can attract people. There is a real danger because God says something totally different God says something completely different than that and I believe that it's time that we as a church we fellas if you're here we as men 
need to help the women and girls in our lives stand on the Lord's truth and understand what God's standards are and understand how He values them. And I'll guarantee you this, you don't have to search very long in Scripture to find out it's not based upon what they look like. And it's not based upon how attractive they are or how cute they are. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, very first verse. Joshua judges Ruth and then 1 Samuel. If you're looking in your table of contents, you can kind of look that way. 1 Samuel is over in the Old Testament. Uh, toward the first third or so, maybe right at the end of the first third of the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. What, the, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at uh, an example of the kind of woman who pleases God. Uh, we're going to see a story of a lady named Hannah. It gives us a glimpse into uh, to the type of woman um, that God is pleased with, that uh, the type of things I believe God wants us to understand about women and who they are to be. So this morning we're going to celebrate godly women. We're going to thank them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to love on them. Uh, we're going to honor them. And I hope that by doing so this morning, what we'll do is establish a new standard at least in our minds here at Elm Grove, a new standard for giving attention to and honor to the women that we encounter. I want to I give you this morning just, man, these are not a, a definitive list or an exhaustive list, but here are some marks of a godly woman. If you look in this story, as we will in just a second, you'll see certain things about Hannah that are the marks of a godly woman. If you are a woman here today and you want to know what does God want from me, Here's a great example of what you can do and how you can be. If you are a man here today and you are married to a woman and you say, how can I encourage her? How can I help her? How can I honor her? I hope that by recognizing and living according to these things, this will help you. If you're a father of daughters, I have two. I'm preaching this sermon as if my wife, my daughters, my mother are all listening so that I can help them understand from Scripture what God truly wants them to be. So if you're a father of daughters, I hope you'll pay attention. The, the first mark that I think we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about a godly woman is that she has real issues. <laughs> that sounds really intimidating to start off with. She does. She has a real issue. Look at verse 1. Actually, let's start, let's start in, verse, in verse 2. Um, talking about the man Elkanah. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second named Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and, each of, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her. Because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why don't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? You're dealing here with a, a woman, a godly woman, as we can see, because of her devout nature of offering sacrifices and so on. A woman who's dealing with some real issues. I want you to know that even, even if you are a godly woman, someone who loves Jesus Christ and you want to honor God, it does not make you immune from the real issues of life. I hope 
in the four years that I've been preaching to you, you understand it's okay to have real issues in life. This isn't, the gospel is not about erasing all of your issues, but helping you deal with, through the power of Jesus Christ, in a, in a, in a cross-centered sort of way, the issues that God brings into your life or that you face. Hannah was faithful in offering her sacrifices every single year, and yet she faced real issues. Those real issues don't make you ungodly or undesirable. What she faced was the fact that she was unable to have a child. Some here today can directly relate to that. During the time when Hannah lived, the ability to have a child, particularly a male child, was a sign of true womanhood. And those who were unable were not viewed as someone necessarily just to be pitied, but there was something wrong with them. They were disgraced, and they knew it. Which is why this other woman taunts her and makes fun of her. I wonder for the women that are here today, maybe your issue is exactly the same as Hannah. And you feel as if something's wrong with you because maybe you've been unable to have children. Or maybe you know some folks who are like that. Maybe there's something else also that you face. Perhaps you are in another woman's shadow. You can never live up to your own mother or your grandmother or your mother-in-law or your sister or someone in your life who is larger than life, it seems, and you have, ladies, for years lived in her shadow. Others, I would imagine, see the pictures of physical perfection that are plastered everywhere in the media. And as a result, you struggle. Because when you look in the mirror, that's not what you see. You don't see physical perfection. You see something different than that, and you wonder, what's wrong with me? Others may feel, ladies, if you're falling behind in every area of life. You can't do for your husband or your children or your home what needs to be done, but you've got to work full time, and you can't really feel like you're doing all that you can there, and it's just a combination of things, and you feel like you're falling behind. Or maybe because of your stage of life, you just don't have any time for yourself. And you're giving and giving and giving to everyone around you and to your spouse and your children and your grandchildren if you have them and your job and the church and your friends and and you just want some time just to be because you can't find it because you face a constant pressure to be everything to everyone all the time that's got to be hard maybe you're a woman today and you've been struggling for years or maybe just months over who you really are what do you really want in life who are you? Or maybe you know who you are, but you're not in a position where you feel free to truly express and, and live out who you really are. Because if you really lived out who you are as a Christian woman, maybe you would face some consequences for that. Maybe you believe or you operate as if you're in a competition that you can't win. You're in a competition with other women. Maybe you go and you visit their homes and you see what they have and how they've kept their home and you see what they do and what they don't do and how they look and it's just this never-ending competition and you are the loser. At least that's how you feel. Maybe you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders this morning and you're carrying everybody else's weight as well because you're the go-to person and you give and you give and you give. Maybe you live in fear of what could go wrong, and it paralyzes you. 
And you show up at church and you sort of make it through a couple of hours just smiling and so on, but nobody truly knows what's really going on inside of you, the real issues that you face. Or maybe you're a perfectionist. And it's never good enough. Because your mother always told you it wasn't good enough and you couldn't live up to her and now you've got this false set of expectations on yourself. There are also some here who are preoccupied with a person who makes your life miserable. Somebody at work, somebody in your family, a person from years ago that maybe you never even see, but you're still trying to prove to them your worth. Preoccupied with that person. Maybe you want things that you can't have. Maybe you'd like a new car or a new home or some new furniture in your home or maybe you'd like just a vacation that you'd love to take and you've never been able to do it. I don't know what it may be, but maybe you're caught up in wanting things that you can't have and it just really makes you angry. Some today realize that, yes, this is what your life has amounted to and you don't like it. You say, is this, is this the sum of what I've tried to accomplish and this is it? And you say, if I'm honest, yes, this is, this is it. I don't like it. Some today deal with loneliness, isolation from everyone in your life. Your friends are not here, your family's not here, and you're isolated and lonely even in your own home. Some ladies deal with such a tremendous amount of responsibility as, as a mom, as a wife, as a person who's employed somewhere. Other ladies deal with the abuse from a spouse abuse from their past. Maybe you've been abandoned by a person that you trusted. Ladies, there are some of you here today whose husbands have either run out on you and gone after someone else, or they have been so caught up in things like pornography and so on that they have abandoned you, and there you are alone. Maybe you have serious insecurities based upon what you look like or what you do for a living or what you don't do for a living. Maybe you're facing even now some serious temptations based upon what you're not getting out of your marriage. And the grass looks greener on the other side. I want you to know, I say all that because women, even godly women, have real issues. Hannah had real issues that caused real pain in her life. There were constant reminders for her. Verse 5 says, even at the dinner table. When the, when the food portions were handed out, it's a reminder to her. Now, there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Either she got half the amount of the other lady or double. But either way, either way, according to the Hebrew wording, there was, a, there was a reminder for her, even at the dinner table, that she didn't quite measure up to this other lady. And certainly this other lady, Penina, she was going to let Hannah know at every opportunity, look what a great woman I am and what a failure you are. You got constant reminders in your life of the issues you face, ladies? Hannah knew exactly what you're talking about. Maybe you look in the mirror, you step on the scale, you watch commercials, you visit the homes of others, you see people every day, or Satan attacks your mind, or you come home to something that just reminds you over and over and over and over again of how miserable you are. Hannah can relate. She also, she had no real idea exactly why she faced all of it. She had no idea that it was God, in her case, that had closed her womb to where she could not conceive. Maybe you feel like that. No idea why you face the issues you face. God, what, what in the world happened? Maybe you trace it back and you say, okay, I see a few decisions that I've made that have led to this, but wow, I, 
this is, this is hard for me to figure out. It kept her in a knot as well. She couldn't eat. I bet she couldn't sleep. All she wanted to do was cry when she got alone. Maybe you battle depression or some form of an eating disorder or mental torment or even suicidal thoughts or feelings of uselessness or questioning why you even exist or confusion over what to do next or maybe you hate yourself and other people just because of what you're dealing with. i got to believe that Hannah, based upon the emotion that's revealed in the Scripture, can relate and can understand. She was also a woman that even though she had a husband, he didn't truly understand what she was dealing with. Ladies, I want you to know that I stand here as a man today talking to you, and you think, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. And you know what? You're exactly right. I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. And all the men said, amen, right? But seriously, I don't know what it's like. Her husband comes to her and says, Hannah, What's the problem? Am I not doing what's right to you? Am I not better to you than ten sons would be? He didn't truly understand what her issues were causing in her life. Ladies, maybe you feel the same way. Nobody truly gets it. Even godly women have real issues. But we see in Hannah's life the next step that helps us to move toward a more godly approach that a godly woman takes her issues to the Lord. A godly woman, yes, has real issues, but a godly woman also takes her issues to the Lord. Look at verse 9. Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. Now, that, that's a, a certain kind of vow that she's making. Just understand, uh, when not cutting his hair was a, was a higher sort of commitment to the Lord for a young man during that time. While she was praying in the Lord's presence, Eli, the priest, watched her lips. Hannah was speaking to herself, and although her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer appeared downcast. A godly woman has real issues, but she takes those issues to the Lord. Sadly, in our society and in, even in our church, we have families here who, who are, are with, with women in them who have searched for other things instead of the Lord. Maybe women go searching for a man who can help them. If they can just get the right man, they'll be okay. And I know people from my time in college and then as a high school teacher and as a youth pastor and now as a pastor who have bounced from one guy to another guy to another guy to another guy to another guy. Why? Because they feel as if, if they just find the guy who will say the right thing at the right time and make them feel a certain way, then they now have work. They go searching for that. Or maybe, ladies, you've searched for solutions to your issues in your children. 
and you pour everything you can into your children and helping them, and they're involved in all sorts of activities, and they're everywhere, and you're running them all over the place, and your hair's on fire because you just keep going back and forth, and, and you figure, if I just can live through my children a little bit, or maybe it's achievement for you and your career. Well, that's the answer to my problem. I'm a little bit upset because I haven't achieved as much as I'd like. And the next year when I get to this point, I'm promoted or I make this amount of money or I climb this ladder and so on, then, then I'll have the validation that I need. Then I'll truly be the woman that I'm supposed to be. Or maybe it's in your appearance. And you've done everything, literally everything you can do to improve, enhance, help out your appearance, to keep it as young-looking as possible. You've done all those things thinking, well, that's got to be it because it seems to be that's what people respond to. Or maybe it's just the attention that you can get from whatever it may be. What we learn from Hannah in her taking her issues to the Lord is that she was valued by the Lord and welcomed into His presence. She prayed, it says, in the presence of the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means she was in the presence of the Lord. Exactly what it says. God welcomed her into His presence. She had access to Him in a personal way. He didn't have to go through anybody else. didn't have to go through her husband to get to God. She went directly to the Lord. And praise God, ladies, you have the same opportunity to go directly to the Lord through Jesus Christ. You know, she's the only woman in the Old Testament that, uh, that we know of anyway that... Uh, that went to the Lord's house to pray. We know other women prayed, but this is the only recording we have of a woman going to the Lord's house. You realize that was typically recorded that men would do that. Here's a woman who went straight to God. Her prayer includes the most uses of God's personal name, Yahweh, by any woman in the Old Testament. She knew the Lord, and she knew Him in a very personal way. The Lord welcomed her. Now, fellas, I will say this as a side note. Eli didn't get it. The Lord welcomed her, and Eli thinks she's drunk. Guys, this may sound humorous. Be real careful when you're dealing with a woman that's got real issues. You understand what I mean? Don't assume anything whatsoever negatively about that woman. I, I, I can't say that the Lord has commanded this necessarily from Scripture, but I see in Eli's example a guy who really didn't get it. So guys, be careful when you're dealing with the women in your life. Be graceful instead of saying, woman, what's wrong with you? What is your deal? Is it the same thing you were dealing with yesterday? That's probably not the way to go about it. Word of the wise. We, we learn from Hannah, she's welcomed by the Lord. She knew God in a personal way. She knew the Lord is the only true source of help. She doesn't find some scheme like, like Abraham and Sarah did to produce a child they could claim. She simply takes her needs to the Lord, depending upon Him for what she needed. There's no formula in her prayer either. She just prays and says, God, here's what I'm dealing with. My heart's broken. This is my issue. I'm presenting my request to you. And she just lays it out for the Lord. A godly woman has real issues, but she takes her issues to the Lord. A godly woman also uses her influence for God's kingdom. I love how this story turns. Verse 19. Here's after she's prayed. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to bow and to worship the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and his household went up to make the annual sacrifice, 
and his and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explain to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to, to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, two and one-half gallons of flour, and a jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as sure as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he bowed and worshiped the Lord there. A godly woman uses whatever influence she has for God's kingdom. We see in Hannah a woman who's faithful to her commitments. She told the Lord, God, here's what I will do. Now, this is not a bargain kind of prayer. Don't, let's not get off on those kinds of tangents. But she made a vow to the Lord, and she kept it. She said, Lord, here's, here's what will happen. If I'm blessed with a son, as soon as he's weaned, I will take him and he will serve you all the days of his life. And what does she do? Immediately, as soon as he's weaned, here's a woman who could have said, well, God, you know, you haven't given me another son here. And I, wow, I, you know, and, and, and I guess I'm going to hang on to him a little longer. She was faithful to the Lord and fulfilled her commitment no matter what. She was also, of course, faithful to her family. What an example to her husband, to this young boy. She, she instructed her children. It's very apparent. I would imagine the conversations that she had with this young, probably two- to three-year-old little boy by the time that she took him to, uh, to the temple. I wonder how much he understood, but I wonder how much she told him, you're going to serve the Lord. You are God's. You belong to Him. You're going to serve Him all the days of your life. Your hair is going to be a reminder that you belong to Him because it will never be cut. I wonder what she taught Him, but it's obvious that she had a great impact on Him for God's kingdom. She committed what was most valuable to her. Who was most valuable to her was committed to the Lord. Maybe, ladies, today it's time for you and your families, if you are a mother, to set a whole, a whole new set of goals for your children I'm not saying to bring them here to the church and, and, and leave them at the altar and we'll take care of them. In fact, it'd probably be better after the service if you go get your kids and take them home. People over there, I'm sure, would appreciate that. All right, But what I am saying, the example that, that's set here is not necessarily one to follow verbatim that you leave your children here at the church and allow me to raise them every single day of the week. But what's apparent is that she said, Lord, my goals for my children are going to be what your goals for my children are. And not in every case, parents, you know this, will those goals be accomplished, but that has to be the foundation, a biblical focus for raising your children. She used her influence for God's kingdom. As a godly woman, that's important to do. Finally, she trusts in God's goodness and in His control. This godly woman, Hannah, when she leaves her son Samuel there with the priest, she leaves and here's what she says in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Look at it with me, verse 1. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly. 
or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and, his, and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The barren woman gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some to Sheol, and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the garbage pile. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked are silenced in darkness. For a man does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. She trusted in the goodness and in the control of the Lord. It's evident through this song that she sings that she, she knew she was a part of a bigger plan. There's something bigger than Hannah and her issues going on. She recognizes God is the only true source of joy and contentment and strength. He alone is the giver of life. He alone is the source of empowerment and victory for those who fear him. And it's he who gives true worth and value to those who seem to have no value and no worth. She also previews what will eventually happen, that he will deliver through, he says, his anointed. Through his king, we see that first in King David. But ultimately, we see it in King Jesus, the truly anointed one of God, who will come and fulfill everything that the Old Testament prophesies about, will give his life for the sins of mankind so we can experience the grace of God on a daily basis. What do you do with a, with a Mother's Day sermon? What do you do with a sermon that just talks about women? I, I think... If you're a woman here today, one thing I would challenge you with, it may sound really simple, but be a godly woman. That's hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. Be a godly woman. Hannah, Hannah looked to God for her deliverance. She looked to a time when God would send the Messiah. We now look back on that time and say, yes, God has confirmed it. We now have the great opportunity to have Jesus through His Holy Spirit, reside inside of us, making us godly and empowering us for godly living on a daily basis. So ladies, this morning, receive God's grace. There's no competition in the kingdom of God. We all stand on even ground at the cross. We all are in need of Jesus Christ. And He, through His death and His resurrection, has given us all equal value and worth. So receive His grace and live on that truth. Be made new by His Holy Spirit. Understand what true beauty is all about, and it comes from the inside out. Only as the Holy Spirit works obedience and truth into your life. So follow Hannah's example. Believe in God's truth. So be a godly woman. Maybe that's your challenge this morning. Maybe you're a, a man or a woman here today, and you could receive this next challenge to go thank a godly woman. To go say thank you for her influence for what she's done in your life and how she's been used of God to influence you, for her true beauty that's only seen on the inside, to thank her for her example, for her teaching, all that she's meant to you. Maybe you, before you'd leave today, you'd even cross the aisle, go to someone and say, thank you so much 
for the life that you've lived, for the impact that you've had, for the teaching that you've done. Maybe this morning you'd just pray for a godly woman or a woman that you know that you say, you know what, Lord, I know she, she, she needs to be a godly woman. I'm going to pray for her. Here's what I'd like to do as we, as we close. I want all of our ladies to remain seated. And I want, in just a second, all of our fellas are going to stand. And, and this may seem a little bit awkward, but you're not going to have to pray out loud, so don't worry about it. But fellas, when I ask you to stand, I want you to find a woman close to you and just place a hand on her shoulder. We're going we're gonna to close our time this morning in prayer for the women that are here. You may or may not know the issues they face, but they face real issues. You may or may not know the hurt that's going on inside of them this morning, but I guarantee you that every woman here deals with something along those lines. So guys, we're going to just place a hand on their shoulder. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And when we get done with that, we'll ask the ladies to stand and and join us as we sing our our song of, of closing. So guys, why don't you stand with me? And I don't want any woman today to be alone. So fellas, you may have to spread out. Ladies, you may have to scoot a little closer together. But let's do all we can to place a hand on a shoulder as best we possibly can of every woman who's here. I'm going to come right over here in the middle. We've got some other ladies that are sitting over here. How about that? <clears throat> if it's all right, I'm going, to slide, I'm going to slide right in here. All right. All right, that's, that, that's fine. We, 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 we'll get it. Ladies, you might have to hold, we might have to hold hands just so, that, so it channels through you, all right? All right, well, let's, let's pray together for our women this morning. Lord, we are so thankful to be in the presence of godly women. And God, we pause this morning to, uh, to honor you as the source of their godliness, but Lord, to, to honor them for, for how they've been used, how they have given their lives to you and sacrificed so much. Lord, we know, obviously, that even godly women have real issues, regardless of their age, young or old or in between. We know that every stage of life presents a new set of issues. So, Lord, this morning we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom and your comfort and all that that means to be ministered directly to the hearts and the minds of the women that are here. Lord, for those who are seemingly falling behind or dealing with past hurts, are always, Lord, carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. We pray this morning you would set them free based upon your truth, not just trying harder on their part, but, Lord, by letting go and receiving your grace that that, that, that alone can validate them. Lord, we pray for those who, who are mothers dealing with children even now in the home. God, we pray that you would give them this week an extra dose of grace and wisdom that their goals would be lined up with your goals for their home and their children. Lord, for those who are in struggling marriages, we pray, Lord, that you would give them endurance and patience and grace, that you would heal those marriages and put them back together. For those who are empty nesters or are growing older, Lord, we pray that your grace would sustain them even as they pass from one stage of life to the next. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would prevent them from being lonely, that you would establish their feet and lift up their head. Lord, we do thank you for each godly woman that's had such a tremendous influence in our lives and the life of this church. We thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that you would honor them this morning 
by driving your truth straight into their hearts. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to celebrate women today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.